sometimes it leaves itself out and you just have to tell it pretty. I remember watching cartoons. I don't really remember watching cartoons on Saturday morning, so I remember that. I really like, you know, I still really like that Pinky and the Brain cartoon. I really like the Pinky and the Brain. Animaniacs were pretty cool. Dragon Ball Z would have been out. Or maybe the one before Dragon Ball Z. Was it just called Dragon Ball? I remember, I remember Saturday morning cartoons. I was never that much of a cartoon guy, I don't think, though. I mean, Saturdays, actually. I would wake up and, and, be, and have the house to myself from probably like grade five or six on. I would just go out for a walk in the woods. It's kind of a romantic idea, right? Like, well, it's like, you know, sometimes if you're out, especially the more, when you're out alone in, in like on a hike or whatever it is, because you're not talking with people, you tend to see more things. For two, like, for two reasons. Like one, because you're not distracted, and two, because you're quiet. time being productive creatively unless I'm like really alone not even no one no not even anyone can hear you or see you it's just I prefer to be sort of cloistered to try and be creative but that's a weakness in my opinion I, I don't believe that uh, like the creating art is is as fragile uh, an endeavor as a lot of people make it out to be I think most of it just has to do with like motivation, like that whole kind of thing that like a lot of people think that to write a good song you need to have like a mo like a sudden moment of inspiration, like that's like the whole like the creativity in the individual artist or what is it? Anyway, he talks about how like the artist is just like a catalyst that like channels like an ultimate stream of creativity. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> I think that like making good art of any sort is like a, is just a re is a result of hard work. I mean, my parents both like music. My dad plays guitar a lot. He was kind of like that campfire hero, I think, growing up. I think I started playing bass when I was in grade seven, so I don't know if that's, is that like 12 or 13, 12 maybe? I remember telling my dad like, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start taking bass lessons. He was like, why would you want to play bass? I you know what, I do know why. I remember it was because I figured I'd, everybody played guitar and nobody played bass. And I figured if I played bass, I'd be able to play with a lot of people. My first gig ever, I remember, it was a punk show. It was the I was just filling in. That's the one I was just filling in. It was horrible. It was a. It, it was a not a fun. I don't show. know if you've ever been to any kind of like all ages punk shows, but a big part of it is just the bands kind of going crazy on stage. And I was so so nervous that I just kind of stood there, terrified, and people were kind of wondering what that what was wrong with me that I wasn't moving around. Changed the name to M Lemon. Because we also had a band called Metal Arc 5, and we couldn't have Metal Arc 5 and Metal Arc Lemon. When we started playing together, we practiced three times a week. After every practice, we would talk about what we should call a band. And we went over hundreds of band names. And the only one that everyone liked was PPW. So we had to figure out something for it to be. It just sounded, we, li we liked the way it sounded. It didn't occur to us ever that people would just assume we were a, like a solo blues singer, which was a thing. <laughs> people just assumed that George Warren, we were, you know, some guy, some blues guy named George Warren, or went by Pistol George Warren. 
sure. I, I like when the, I like when the when a name has some sort of secondary connotation. Band names are are different because it's hard to it's hard to name a band after something with all sorts of like you know hidden meanings and, and for it to not kind of sound arrogant, cheesy or you know I think the best band names just it's like just sound good. If you really hit it out of the ballpark with the first lyric of a song, the vast majority of the rest of the lyrics don't need to be good, you know. Because if, if the first lyric is so good that people are immediately struck by it, they're going to listen to the rest of it. They're going to remember it as good, I think. Living on the road, Living on the road my friend, is going to keep you free and clean. And, and now you wear your skin like iron, your breast as hard as kerosene. Towns didn't know what it was about. There's a famous story where, it's not that famous, it's only famous for someone like me who's obsessed with Towns Van Zandt, but I guess he got pulled over by a cop and he was speeding and probably drunk. And the cop was grilling him and gonna write him a ticket or, or, or I don't know, maybe arrest him. And He looked, he saw there was a guitar in the back of the car and he said, yeah. So you're a musician? And he said, yeah, I wrote Poncho and Lefty. And he said, no, you didn't. And he said, yeah, in Townsend, I wrote Poncho and Lefty. And I said, really? He said, if you tell me what it's about, I won't give you a ticket. And I think I said, it's about you. It's about me and you or something like that. He didn't, he had no idea what it was about. It's just a bunch of lyrics. It's a good song. I, in, in art in general, I'm not a big fan of, like, um, of abstraction. I, I like art that's got a concrete meaning to it, but in the in that world where things are kind of concrete most of the time, a little bit of the abstract can be what creates that sort of sense of wonder or mystery. In a song like that, not really ever knowing exactly what it's about, but I mean, when you listen to him sing it, it sounds like he knows exactly what it's about. It doesn't sound like he's just singing nonsense, you know, like it sounds like he knows, he, whether or not he did, it sounds like he knows damn well what the song's about, so. In some ways harder to write that song, and in a lot, but in a lot of ways it's easier to write a story song. You have to have it in you to come up with a story, but once you have it, it just makes more sense, right? Like, because you don't have to think as abstractly as if you were trying to write, you know, if you were just trying to create a mood through sort of disparate images that are all connected in one way or another to a central theme. That's hard because there are no boundaries to what you're allowed to do, right? So, in some, I mean, tons of like, the, some of the best songs I've ever written are like that. Little fragments of perspective that all are linked together by, a, I don't know, an undercurrent of longing or belonging or home or whatever it is. But when you have it, you know, you have a story you have point A, B, C, D, you have an introduction and a conclusion and it all kind of... Sometimes it lays itself out and you just have to tell it pretty. I think that uh, a good story told to music is a very powerful tool. Because you have various dimensions of art working together, I think that you can have a really profound impact on an audience. I think that's true of art, though. You know, like, when you finish a novel, if it was really good, it's like, there's, it's gonna linger in your, in your attitude and your mind for a while. And probably, ultimately, parts of it are gonna stay with you forever. 
I had this teacher in high school who said that every good book you read should change you forever. Whether or not it's a huge, like, revolutionary change or just a little thing, you know. I think the same thing is probably true of really good songs. Songs are so fast, though, you know. Like, you can sit down and listen to 12 songs in half an hour, no problem. Most people are going to put your record on and and talk to friends or drive somewhere. Like, most, most people... I don't know how many people listen to music the way that musicians do. But it's supposed, it's supposed the same is true of, you know, a painting or a poem. Because like, there's no real way to know what someone's going to get out of your art. You can just hope that they're going to get what you want them to. But that's not necessarily the case. I, I kind of like when you, when you get on stage to a room full of people who obviously don't care at all that you're playing. You know, who are just not interested at all. And it's cool when you start off a night like that and by the end everybody's interested. You know, you got a good crowd kind of dancing or, or at least standing up front and maybe wanting to buy albums or something. It's a good feeling when you know you want over a crowd. That's cool. There's a real sort of camaraderie that especially comes to life when you're all on stage together. Uh, that's a lot of fun. That's very gratifying. It's also fun, like, it's interesting to play live because it's cool to be a part of like a moving machine, you know? The generations to come are gonna be so coddled that they're gonna usher in the end of the human race. That's what I think. But that's not the end. The human experience is predicated on the idea of learning from your mistakes. And if you never are allowed to make any mistakes because you're kept in your living room on your iPad all day, you're just going to be a, a useless shell of a human, you know? I still, like, I have five camp stoves, you know, and I have way more coffee tables than anyone needs. Parkback.org